0: I thought we'd try a bit of Galatians today. It's an interesting book, Galatians. Um, Paul starts off the book uh, sort of wringing his hands and wringing his hair over these Galatians who, you know, he's, he's loved and he's uh, preached to and he's brought the word to and they seem to, and then he, you know, he, he travelled, so he, he was off in other places and, and he hears about these things that are happening to the Galatians and and he's really worried for them that having received the, the grace and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that um, Jewish so-called friends had come in and tried to, to uh, convince the Galatians that it wasn't good enough just to be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit, but they also had to live according to the law of Moses. And uh, Paul really refutes that in the book of uh, Galatians and other places as well, but it's particularly in Galatians. And so I was was reading a little bit of it, and I wanted to uh, spend a little bit of time in Galatians 5 and 6, but by way of introduction, uh, who's heard of the term noblesse oblige? How's your French? Mine's terrible, so you probably don't know what I'm talking about. Noblesse oblige. It translates to... The obligation of nobility, alright, uh, it's a French term that, that's come into the English language which basically means that if, if you are uh, wealthy, if you are, are blessed, if you are the nobility, part of the nobility, then there's an obligation on you to uh, uh, perhaps give something back or help those that are less fortunate than yourself. Uh, which, of course, doesn't really seem to be all that common these days. I say these days, but it probably is, is all of time. Um, because so often we see that with wealth comes the, the imperative just to get more. And, uh, and people building their empires and, and uh, getting rich for the sake of, of wealth and whatever they can do to, to, do, uh, to get in that situation. So it seems that the more common um, experience that uh, I think I've observed, maybe you have too, is NSI, naked self-interest. I think it would ring a bell, wouldn't it? And and look, we're all guilty of it, aren't we? We're all guilty of it. Um, you know, it's, it's when something happens or something is suggested or maybe we're invited somewhere and there's always that subconscious sort of, Thing that's happening in us, which is how is this going to affect me? All right, how is this going to affect me? For example, you know, if I asked, um, you know, who's staying for lunch today, um, your answer can be just yes, because that's what we do, sort of thing. Or you might first wonder well, what's actually on for lunch. You know, this is a little sort of creepy thing coming in there. What's on for lunch? You know I could ask Are you you're going to join us at the next working bee and you might say well oh, I will need to check my calendar first you know this is this is naked self-interest sort of happening in our in our heads and in our minds you know if I was say you know we're going to have a chocoholic day next Saturday uh, do you first think about your waistline uh, I don't maybe I should but <laughs> and today you know today we're making marking ends that day here in Australia where you know, self-interest definitely wasn't in play uh, for those soldiers that did what they were told despite the consequences and despite the, the probable, you know, uh, harm and, and death that many of them experienced as a result of it. You know, these guys, they sacrificed their lives for king and country, uh, whatever that actually means. Um, and many paid the ultimate price. And we should acknowledge that. Uh, we are uh, in a remarkable country here in Australia for all of the people that we have to put up with and politicians and the rest of it. We, we do pretty good as a country, don't we? And, um, and we should recognise that and certainly thank those that have, have uh, paid a price that has enabled that for us. But let's make this personal in the way that only the word of God can. So let's turn to Galatians 5. So today I'm talking about this, I don't know, this battle, if you like, between noblesse oblige. The obligation of the blessed, which is who we are. Alright, let, let, let's get that out of the way right now. We are we are the nobility, and we are blessed, and we are wealthy in the things that matter. All right, we're not talking natural circumstances. I guess, as Australians, we actually are pretty wealthy compared to world standards. But I'm not talking about natural standards here. I'm talking about what's for really real, which is what the gods uh, gods uh, blessed us with. So, as I said, um, starting in uh, Galatians 5, and this is after a bit of a discussion that uh, Paul has had. A bit of a he's been communicating with them about. Uh, how he wants them not to get, Would uh, would say verse verse 1, don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. You've been brought into a place, a relationship with God, which is based on grace, which is based on you're a sinner, but your sin has been paid for. We're all sinners. We were all sinners. But what we um, what we uh, should um experience the result of that sin is something that we don't have to experience anymore. So he's had some quite stern words uh, with the Galatians, and then with that whole background of of, uh, the issues of circumcision and living under the law and so on, I want to jump down to verses uh, from verse 13. I'm reading mostly out of the NLT, Um, and he says in verse 13 of Galatians 5, For you have been called to live in freedom, um, King James is liberty. You've been called to live, live in liberty. But it's not a freedom, it's not a liberty to satisfy your sinful nature. But it's a freedom to serve one another in love. Chris was making some comments about love before. I think that uh, some of that might come through today. And this then is that, that war, isn't it, between N.S.I. naked self-interest and noblesse oblige he says in verse 14, for the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. The whole law. Well, there's 10 commandments, there's a whole bunch more rules, there's 693 or something or other precepts or principles. Is that the right number? It's a number like that. These were the laws. These were was, this, this was the things that you had to do to be right with God. You had to you know, rest on the Sabbath. You couldn't do any work on the Sabbath. Things like that. But it was—it came down to all sorts of things, and, and a lot of those laws, I think, they've expanded them um, now because um, you know a devout Jew uh, will not get in a lift because it needs to press the button. He won't do that on the Sabbath. It—it's um, it's, that's the kind of bondage um, that the law brought to, to men and women. Of course, it's not a bondage that God was. Putting upon people, men have managed to take the laws that God, you know, the beautiful laws that God gave us, and God gave uh, Moses way back, and they've turned them into these bonds, these 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 chains. And and Jesus was pretty critical, wasn't he, of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, of the teachers of his day, at the at the at the uh, the change that he that they imposed upon people, which was not God's intention at all. Anyway. The whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbour as yourself. It's an interesting point here. God knows that our primary interest is always going to be ourselves. That's kind of a given. It sort of comes with human nature. It comes with being the people that we are. And so that we do wonder about how things are going to affect us when something happens. But rather than telling us to love ourselves a little bit less he doesn't say that he's saying that's okay but he is saying love others the same so don't increase decrease how much you know you love and care for yourself but make sure that you bring your love and care for your neighbor up to the same level it's a different thing isn't it it's a different standard so when, you know, when we think of something as to whether it's uh, benefiting ourselves, we also need to be thinking, is this going to benefit my neighbour? And do I need to say anything about who our neighbour is? It's not the person living, well, it is the person living next door, but it's anyone that we uh, have any sort of relationship with. So God is saying here, love your neighbour as yourself. Give your neighbour, give your friend, give your colleague, give your family the same weighting in terms of consideration as that you give to yourself. And of course, that's next to impossible for our human natures to do so. But we've got, with God, we've got His Spirit within us that allows us to compensate for that human nature. In fact, it makes us able to live a spiritual life and with a spiritual nature, which is what Paul is really talking about in these scriptures. So he goes on in verse 15, and with a little bit of a warning, a nod to the ever-present existence of our human nature. But if instead of showing love amongst yourselves, you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. He wasn't saying that they were doing that in this case, but he said if. Uh, you're not doing this if you're not showing love, but instead biting and devouring another. Then be very careful, because we know that at the end of the day, you know, we're going to destroy ourselves rather than the other person if we've you know got roots of bitterness and and unforgiveness. We we know that statement. I don't know who said it. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison yourself and waiting for the other person to die. Some phrases just really capture the essence of the matter, don't they? So he goes on in verse 16, I advise you instead to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So he's making this distinction between our natural life experience and desires and all those sort of things and who we have and who God has made us to be. When we are born again, when we are saved, we are made into spiritual creatures with a spiritual nature. We've got these bodies we're still carting around for a little while longer but what's driving us is our spiritual nature and that's what this, uh, this scripture is here in Galatians are talking about. In verse 17, for the flesh in the New King, James, New King James says, the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh and these are contrary one to another so that you do not do the things that you wish. We all can say amen to that, don't This This was Paul's struggle as he describes at the end of Romans 7 there. I like this in the NLT. The old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite from what our sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other And your choices are never free from this conflict. Doesn't that make it a little bit personal? And there's a bit of a a reality check or an understanding here that Paul is really describing and that we can all say amen to. These two forces are constantly fighting each other and our choices are never free from this conflict. But when you're directed by the Holy Spirit, you're no longer subject to the law when you follow the desires of sinful nature instead, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality, impure thoughts, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in demonic activities, hostility, quarrelling, jealousy. Doesn't sound very good, does it? Outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, uh, King James's heresies, Translated here as the feeling that everyone is wrong, except those in your own little group. And how many little groups are there around the place these days? Heresies. Everyone is feeling. Everyone is wrong, except those in your own little group. We seem to be coming very divided. That um, if if we someone has a different opinion, then um, we cannot, you know. Connect with them, cannot fellowship with them. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties and other kinds of sin. Let me tell you again, as I've said before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul is never far from saying, listen, you've got your lives here now, but this is only the forerunner of what's for the future. What we are really talking about here is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of, of eternal life. This is a relationship with God for forever, not just this time that we spend here on earth now. But this is our alternative from verse 22. This is who the Holy Spirit has now made us to be, that when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us, love, joy, peace. Don't we all yearn for peace? patience. You can often often say, Lord, give me patience and hurry up about it. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. There is no conflict here with the law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross and crucified them there. And that is who we are now. That is what we have done. Sometimes I think... Maybe sometimes we might feel that we haven't totally crucified all of our sinful passions and desires to the cross. But in fact, that is who God has made us to be through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the power of the Holy Spirit. And with Christ's grace, with the support of our brothers and sisters, with the love of the saints, the leading of the Holy Spirit, and our spiritual nature now, we can say a huge amen to this. That we, This is, we are different people. God makes us different people. I was saying just, just before, you know, this, this, this phrase being born again is such a wonderfully apt description um, of what happens when we come to a place of of a, of a relationship, coming to a relationship with God. When we're, you know, other words that are used are saved and so on. But being born again because it's a fresh, brand new start. We've got these bodies and they you know, hang around us and they get a little bit old and drippy and all the rest of it. But inside is this wonderful, powerful Holy Spirit that is doing its perfect work in us. And so in verse 25, if we are living now by the Holy Spirit, let us follow the Holy Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. What a good reason for getting up in the morning and starting the day with the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit really is leading us every day. So the, the human nature that's within us and that wants to, you know, um, always uh, you know, put our self-interest first and uh, above everything else, It becomes balanced and it becomes subject to the spiritual nature. Let us not become conceited in verse 26 or irritate one another or be jealous of one another. We never irritate one another, do we? We're never irritated by other people, are we? No, I didn't think so. And then some more uh, things, uh, practical things that uh, Paul uh, shares from uh, chapter 6. Brethren, this is now the working of the church. This is the church in operation. This is the Holy Spirit in operation. This is Christ in operation in our lives. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. This is, as I said, the church working. Who hasn't been overtaken in a fault? We all have. But our our joint obligation now, our desire amongst each other is to restore each other, whatever happens. This is Christ working in us. Now he puts in this little reality check, another little reality check for us in verse 3. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Don't think of yourself as more than you are. Judge yourselves with with a righteous judgment. But let each of us examine your own work and then when he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. In other words, look at what what your influence is and who you are. And verse 5 is an interesting one. For each one shall bear his own load. Each one shall bear his own load. Now, that, that sounds like we're on our own, doesn't it? Which is... Not the case, not from what we've just been talking about. And I I do like the Amplified uh, here, the Amplified version of the Bible. It says, for every person will have to bear his own little load of oppressive faults. Every person will have to bear his own little load of oppressive faults. It's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? That um, you're not on your own. It's not about being on our own but that we all have, you know, I've got issues that you don't have to deal with and you've got issues that I won't have to deal with. So what does that mean? That means that, you know, if um, there, there are things that, you know, uh, things that might happen to me that, that I just sail through and um, and someone else who comes into the same situation and, and, and they're um, they're trapped or they fall or they, they don't cope as well or other, and, I, and I could think, well goodness me, they just have to do this and it'll be easy. Uh, and you could think exactly the same of me. You know, when I'm dealing with something and, and you uh, you can't understand you know, why I'm finding this difficult or, you know, uh, why I'm grumpy or whatever it might be. But this is the work of Christ in us that we all just take a step back in a way. You know, we've got we've got people that uh, will struggle with, with perhaps alcohol or something. It just came to mind then. And and it's uh, it's, uh, it's just, uh, it's got a grip. And it's not something I've ever been troubled with. Uh, and I know there are others in the fellowship here that have been troubled by it and have just had a wonderful victory and God's just brought them wonderful peace and it's just not an issue for them anymore. So we could look at so- someone in that situation or... Someone in another, some whatever it is, and they're, and they're trapped by this. And we can, we can, we can almost point the finger sometimes. And why have you got such a problem? You know, you just got to, um, you know, have faith in God. And we can try out all these little trite little little sayings or whatever. But that's not who we're called to be. That's not going to be helpful. Instead, what we do is we come up and we walk with that brother. And we just support them, we share scripture, we pray. Sometimes we just are there to comfort. That's all we need to do. We don't even need to say things. I'm told that men say things too often to their wives, that sometimes the wives just need to be heard. This is a lesson I think I'm still learning. <laughs> sometimes, you know we can, we can try and solve an answer, try and solve a problem. Sometimes that's not what's required. Sometimes what's required is just to be there, to be a friend, and to love our brother and sister. So that's what Paul was saying. Be kind and generous and forgiving. Understand everyone, even to those that we look at and we think, well, they're being an idiot. You know, this is all their fault. You know, they've got themselves into this problem. They can get themselves out. But by loving each other in the way that I've described, that's when we're demonstrating the true love and compassion that Jesus Christ has for us. Now Christ is that, that's who Christ is. He, he knew no sin. Christ knew no sin. And yet he, he loved us before we even knew about him. We loved us when our, our sinful, our human natures were narrowing into to the cross. And you know, he was obliged, maybe this is one way of putting it, he was obliged to go to the cross. His father asked him to do this for us that, um, so that you know, the, the sin that we have, the unforgiveness that we have, the, all of those works of the flesh that we read out before, all of these things that we might sort of dabble in every now and again or want to dabble in any, every now and again, these things are nailed to the cross by this perfect son of God. Now, I don't understand how it works. I don't don't understand that it should work that way, but that's the way it does work. And God has brought us into this wonderful place now where we can identify with the perfect Lamb of God, the perfect Son of God. And Jesus Christ doesn't look at us as sinners. He doesn't look at us in our filth. He doesn't look at us in our anger and our self-justification and our naked self-interest. He looks at us as the people that we, he has been able to make us to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as we as we have repented and decided that we wanted to do things God's way, he said, well, that's that's all I need. We would do that for our kids, wouldn't we? We will love our kids whatever situation they put themselves into. We will continue to love them and care for them. And Christ so much more. He loves, he saves, he keeps. All of these things. Good words for a chorus which happens to be number 366. Haven't sung it for a little while. Let him, in verse 6, who is taught the word, share in all good things with him who teaches. Don't be deceived, in verse 7. God isn't mocked, for whatever a man sows, that will he also reap. This is an absolute law and a rule. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. This is who we've been made to be, isn't it? So we don't sow to our human nature, we just sow to our spiritual nature. And here now is our obligation, now that we've been made rich in in God, in the things that matter. Verse 9, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we don't lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We are obliged by who we've been brought to be, been made to be. We're now obliged to be as Christ was. We are to love as Christ did. We are to serve as Christ did. Now, the word obligation is not one that generally we respond calmly and nicely to, I would think. Is that right? When when someone talks about an obligation, we think duty. We think have to. But this isn't the obligation that Christ has put upon our hearts. He wants... Our obligation to be one out of love and out of a response, out of, of loving Christ in the way that he told us how to love. So we've got to be very careful that we don't respond to the word obligation as hard and I don't want to and leave to someone else. This is not the obligation of duty we're called to. What does he say in uh, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, those two chapters about giving um, particularly money? There's a situation where a whole bunch of churches had heard about the church in Jerusalem being quite um, poor and and, uh, really doing it tough, and a whole bunch of churches up around Turkey and so on decided to send some money down and help the brothers and sisters in Jerusalem. And, uh, and Paul writes in Second Corinthians eight and nine about just thanking them for that that um, that decision that they'd made. Um, but he makes some pretty important points, like if you're going to give, do it cheerfully. Don't give because you feel you have to. Don't give because someone else has given twenty bucks, so you think you better give twenty bucks or ten bucks or thirty bucks. This is not how we measure. And give. We've got to be happy to give. And that is our obligation, to do so happily. And then Paul goes back and finishes in verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. So just to summarise, there's a couple of little points to take away. So, you know, Anzac Day this year, you know, we as Australians, we... We do and we should remember those that have suffered in defence of our way of life. But that was a a temporal defence. That was a, a way of life that's what we're living now. So we have to remember with even more gratitude Christ who suffered to provide us a brand new life and what's more, a brand new life for eternity. So I just wanted to share these scriptures from Galatians that we do take to heart and, and recognise that, that we want to be driven by our spiritual nature and not our human nature. We want to appreciate how wealthy God has made us to be, not in dollars and cents, even though anyone in Australia is pretty much ahead of anyone else in the world. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about how blessed how noble we've been made as sons and daughters of God and the obligation out of love that we have then to serve, to love, to care, to show Christ in our lives and through our lives to those that uh, we come in contact with, to our neighbour. Colossians 1 verse 27, loving our neighbour is a profound statement of Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen.